The title of my message this morning is Get Out. Get Out. I had wanted, this had to be a quick message looking at the time, um, I had wanted to uh, actually show a scene from the movie Terminator 2. Any of you kind of movie fans uh, in here, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I was wanting to show that scene where the uh, T-1000 gets into the helicopter and turns around to the pilot and says, get out. Um, but of course, as I looked at it, there's a bunch of cussing in there and it's a little bit over. Not, of course, that I watch movies with cussing in them. Um, so we don't have the clip. Anyway, it's get out. And so here's what we're talking about this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've uh, been hearing a lot about um, being whole, about being sanctified on the process of sanctification, of getting connected in relationships, how to have good, healthy relationships because they are part of us receiving the life of God and they transform us so we can become more like Christ. The goal of what has been brought in the last few Sundays is that you and I would together, as we get connected and get closer, as we open ourselves to one another, as we open ourselves to God, that we would receive from God and we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And the goal of being conformed to the image of Christ is that that which is inside us would get out. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about how we need to get the kingdom of God from within to without that we can see people's lives transformed outside of us. I was so inspiring to see what Stephen has been involved in. You look at the video there, but he will tell you himself, and I'm sure he'll have an opportunity to do that, that the beginning of what he's did just began with him beginning. <laughs> Um, and that God will use anyone that is willing. And so seeing the kingdom of God come and clash against the kingdom of darkness and people's lives being transformed is something that should be part of the life of the believer. And so we're going to look um, at a passage of Scripture where Jesus shows us this principle of taking what is within and getting it without. And we're going to draw through, uh, three principles from that, and we're going to hear a few great testimonies in the midst of it. So we're going to look here at the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead. And this is a well-known uh, passage, as you could dig into this a lot. But let me just paint the backstory and give you a paraphrase of what's happened here. Um, I'm going to read uh, the passage. I'm going to read uh, verse 4 of John 11, where this is found. And then we're going to fill in the story. And um, Jesus said this when he had heard of Lazarus's affliction, when Lazarus was sick at this time. Uh, it says this, but when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Jesus had been uh, ministering just by the Jordan. It was where John had been baptizing um, leading up to this. And he was there doing a good work. He was there. He was 
um, proclaiming the good news. He was ministering to the sick. People were being healed. He was doing what he had said the Father had sent him to do. And while he was there, he got word, a messenger came and said that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was sick and they have called for you. And he ended up, took in the information, he stayed by the Jordan for two more days and carried on doing what he was doing. And then he set about the journey to return to Judea where Lazarus was. And so he went uh, on his way, he returned to Judea, he then is outside the village and um, initially it's uh, uh, Martha that comes and meets him and they are um, so consumed with sorrow because of what has happened to their brother. And then when the sisters meet him, they let Jesus know that in fact Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus, has in fact died. And so we then have this, um, we have the shortest verse in the Bible, um, John 11 verse 35, which Jesus, when he's among the people who he loves, when he's among those who is clo he's close to, when he sees their sorrow, he sees their pain, it says in John 11:35, Jesus wept. And as I was mulling over this um, in the week, I was asking myself, what, did, what does Jesus do? What did Jesus do right after the point when he was so taken over with compassion? And for, for you and I, what does our compassion lead us to do? Because compassion can either lead us into doing something productive or compassion can actually paralyze us. And so Jesus, responding to this compassion that he felt within himself, and we'll dig a little bit more deeply into what that looked like in a second, he then, as we know, he went to the tomb. He has this discourse with the disciples um, and where he says, he's just, you know, Lazarus is just sleeping, don't worry about it. Um, when I go to him, he will, he, he, he will awake, awaken. But he knew that Lazarus was already dead. He goes to the tomb. The sisters are feeling nervous about things because he's been dead for four days. They're concerned about the smell. He rolled away the stone. And then he calls into the tomb, into the place of death, and he calls Lazarus out. And as he called to something which is dead, that which is dead suddenly had life breathed into it again. And Lazarus raised from the dead, having been dead four days, walked out. It's funny, I was reading in the Passion Translation, which says he hobbled out because as was the, as was the uh, custom then, he was wrapped from the neck to the feet um, in linen cloths like this. So you just kind of get this picture of this poor guy, like, who's just come round. I don't know what happened for him in those four days. That's a, a topic for another time. 
but suddenly he finds himself in a tomb where it smells, but all of a sudden his body is whole, he's healed, he's, con- he's healed, he's conscious, and he kind of hops out all bound up. And what we have here is a, is a picture for you and I that it is the heart of God that believers and that the church today would be able to go to a place where things are dead and cause that which is dead to come to life again. Whether it's where hope is dead, that it would come to life. Whether it's where relationships are dead, that they would be restored. Whatever it is, the enemy comes to steal, kill, death, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life. That wherever the enemy has ravaged this world, this world belongs to God. The keys of the kingdom were given to you and I. It's the desire of our Father that we go into the world and we call that which is dead and we bring it back to life. And we're going to look at three C's of bringing... Oh, they're there, there already. One of them's there already. Of bringing that which is dead back to life. And we're going to look at what Jesus did. So, to get out what is inside, we need to, number one, make a conscious decision. When Jesus heard the news, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, when we need to bring something which is dead to life, it's generally not going to happen unless we make a conscious decision to do it, unless we decide that it's going hap- ha- to happen. When the word came to Jesus of what needed to happen was Lazarus, it was not a convenient time. Jesus was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was ministering. He was there preaching the gospel. People were getting healed. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. But word came to him where, li- where life needed to invade that where there was death. And he made a conscious decision to do something that in fact was inconvenient and actually go to the place where Lazarus was and bring life to that situation where there was death. So it's interesting in, in how this all ha- happened here. Um, I could have had another C, which is convenience. When God is wanting us to bring life into death, you will often find that it is not at a convenient time. Now, for Jesus, the place where Lazarus was, was the place which he had just been where they tried to stone him and kill him. He had to go back into the place of risk, back to Judea, where the Jews had conspired to kill him in order to be the bringer of life. And so we have this passage, I think it's really funny, um, where he says, let us go back to Judea. All the disciples around him say this to him. They say, do you really want to go back there? It was a short time ago that the people of Judea were going to stone you. So I love, I love this, that um, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you sure you want to go back there? The reality was they didn't want to go back there, but they put it on Jesus. And he says to them, 
Are there not 12 hours of daylight in every day? You can go through a day without fear of stumbling when you walk with the one who gives light to the world. But you will stumble when the light is not in you, for you will be walking in the dark. So Jesus, again, he actually doesn't ask the, answer the question they were asking. He answers the question that they were really thinking, which is, hey, guys, you may be concerned about our safety if we go back there, but if you are walking with me, Jesus, if you're doing what I am doing, you have no need to be concerned for your safety. And off they go. And then, of course, you have good old doubting Thomas. He says, all right, we'll go there and maybe we will die with him. <laughs> yes, he said it. Um, but, um, but when we make a conscious decision to go and bring life, we will walk with Jesus and he will make a way for us so we can go into that environment and bring life just like he did here. And that that which may be a risk around us, he will protect us from. But first, we got to make a conscious decision, even if it is not convenient. I remember there was uh, one time when Dan and I were first married, uh, we were staying in our super ghetto apartment in um, the city actually of St. Charles, Missouri, which we, played, we paid $375 for a month. Um, which is why it was not in the best location. Um, and we had got to know a, uh, a guy who lived right across the hall from us. His name was Scott. Um, he was a cool guy, and we just had a heart for him, um, and he was in, his life was in a mess, and we'd kind of reached out to him. And I remember one evening, uh, it, was, it was in the middle of the night, probably about midnight or so, um, but I was woken up, and I could hear banging outside my apartment. I didn't really know what it was. I was bleary-eyed and I was tired, but I heard this banging on the door. And in my fogginess in the night, I, I basically discerned that someone was banging on Scott's door. And I remember as I lay there in bed thinking, what should I do? I have a decision to make here. Something is happening with Scott. I don't really know what it is. I do care about him, but I'm really tired, and I would like to go to sleep. <laughs> but I made a decision that I would get up, and I would go and see what was happening, which I didn't feel like, and it wasn't convenient, but I made a conscious decision to get out of my bed, throw on some jeans, and go across the hallway to Scott's apartment. And as I opened my door there and looked and looked at the apartment, I could see that the police were there, the fire department. They were banging down his door, and he had attempted suicide. It's a, very, it's a long story, and we may have even shared this at other times. Um, but I uh, got to interact with Scott as he was being taken out by the ambulance and um, followed up with him uh, once he was out of the hospital and was able to become part of what had happened in his life. And after that time, I preached the gospel to him with clarity, and he gave his life to the Lord. And the last we knew when we uh, left 
St. Louis, St. Louis era, he was walking with God and his life was straightened out. But it took making a conscious decision in a time of inconvenience to put myself in a situation where I could bring life where there would otherwise have been death. And what happened after that decision was made, to be honest with you, was pretty straightforward. But first it starts with a conscious decision. All right, number two, we got to let our compassion lead to action. What prompted me to look at this is looking at what happened after Jesus wept. You don't see a lot written in the New Testament where Jesus is deeply, deeply moved within himself. And that, there's a, this phrase that he was deeply moved is twice in this passage in John. Um, and as I looked at this, I realized that, that Jesus was somebody who was not without emotion and compassion, but emotion is good. And in the sense that he, he exemplified the fact that God has a personality, God has emotions, but what is important for us is what we actually do with the things that we feel really, really strongly about. And Jesus, when he was deeply moved, he turned that, that compassion into action. The word for um, deeply moved here is, uh, is um, originally uh, from the Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Greek, and it's ebri maomai, which I think is a pretty funny word. And it's from, it's, it's from the root word to do something in strength. It's where you feel such a strength of feeling within. Now, this can happen with positive consequences, and it can happen with negative consequences. The word is used five times in the New Testament. What is interesting is this word is used of Jesus when his heart was so moved to reach out to Lazarus, and the same word is actually used of Judas, who betrayed Jesus, when his heart was moved, when he criticized Mary, Lazarus's sister, for pouring the perfume over Jesus' feet. The exact same strength of compassion was something that Jesus felt, which caused him to go and bring life where there was death. But when Judas felt the same strength of compassion, oh, sorry, not compassion, strength of feeling, he brought condemnation instead of life. And I find for myself that if there are things that I feel really passionate about, it's probably because God has placed it there, and the, and the reason is I need to turn my compassion into action. And so for us, ask yourself, what is it that you feel compassion towards? Because I believe if you feel passionately towards something, God wants to, to help you find a way to turn your compassion into action. I remember talking to Shauna in times past. She's involved with a ministry which helps free people from being into sex trade. And the way that that came about, and maybe sometimes she'll share a testimony, is that something that she began to feel a conviction for, God brought an opportunity where she could turn that compassion into action. And she just divinely came across people who were involved, involved in this ministry and became part of something to see life come where the enemy has brought death. So we can, the reason for compassion is that it would result in action for us. And uh, 
the final, the final point here is this, and I'm going to have someone come and share a testimony now, is don't complicate it. It's not complicated. The, to, to bring the life of God, to proclaim who God is, is something which is, uh, a, is it, it should be relatively simple. And I think we stop ourselves when we try and overcomplicate what, what God wants us to do. And I'm going to ask Sandy Reich, Sandy, would you come on up here and just share a testimony? Because Sandy was sharing with us a few weeks back something that happened to her, which I think just really perfectly illustrates um, what we're talking about here. Come on the stage, Sandy. You all know Sandy? Sandy's an, Sandy is an awesome person. Tell us what happened to you, what, some weeks back now. Okay, a few weeks, is it on? Yeah, it's on. A few weeks ago, Jeremy was preaching on challenges, and despite challenges, the Lord continues to prompt us, and he wants us to continue to do his work. So I had a challenge. I had a doctor's appointment, which I wasn't looking forward to, and that morning, John called me, and he said, um, could we go see his former co-worker who was in a nursing home across the street from the doctor? So I said, yes. I immediately knew what the Lord wanted. And so I hung up on John and I went like, okay, okay, I know, I know. <laughs> and anyway, so we went to see his friend. The Lord gave me the beginning words, the words of the world. And they were, um, I don't know if you're a church-going man or if you're religious, but I told, asked him if he knew anything about Jesus. And he said no, because he was too bad of a sinner, which got me excited. Because then I thought, oh, great. So I said, well, I've got great news for you. And John and I are a team. He prays, and I'm the orator because I like Great. to talk. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> I went through the plan of salvation, and, and then I said to him, have you ever heard this before? The man's 65. He said, no. And I thought, how many people out there don't know right. any of this? And we fear our own self instead of thinking of the other person's life. Mm -hmm. So um, I went through it. And I asked him if he'd like to accept Christ as his Savior. And he did. And I said a prayer. He followed. And he accepted the Lord. That's awesome. What a great testimony. That's awesome. But I, uh, I love that because when Sandy was sharing it with me, um, I thought it just illustrates what we need to do when they're in that situation. It wasn't that she felt like going to see this guy. It wasn't a convenient time. But she believed like, you know what? I'm going to do this. She made a decision. And then when she got there, God is faithful. He gave her the words. And what she did was not complicated. You know, a lot of, a lot of the time, we just need to speak the truth. It's not necessarily even that we need to proclaim a gospel message. But Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It begins by bringing the truth into, into a situation and eliminating the lies. A lot of what, what I did when I was working in the corporate world, and I was beginning to get a revelation of this type of stuff, is that 
I saw one thing that I know I can do, just the way that I am and the way God has gifted me and the way, um, just the way God speaks to me, I can, in dealing with people, I can see areas where people are believing a lie. And so when I was in the workplace, one of the things that I, I made a decision that I would do is to, to bring truth to people where I had an opportunity to do so. And so with the people that I work with and my sales force, I made it a habit to undo lies and to deliver the truth of God. And you know, all truth is God's truth. It didn't have to be done in a preachy way, but I saw over the passage of time people who were bound up in lies who, whether it was rooted in insecurity and things like that, I brought the truth of God into their situation and and dismantled the lies so that people could begin to believe in who God had made them to be. And it began to change people's lives. It actually changed their sales numbers as well. And so, and so but this is, this is the kingdom of God. God wants the lies smashed. He wants the truth to be elevated. And when people, wherever they are, have a chance to respond to the truth, then they will begin to be, be conformed and, and to be more like Jesus. And so, whatever it is for you and I, you can bring truth into all those people that are around you. Some of the time, you may actually tell them the gospel, but you can bring them the truth wherever they are, whoever they are. And when you do it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be something which is natural. It can be something which is straightforward. And you can destroy the works of the enemy as you bring in the truth. So, I feel for us in this season that it is a time to be mindful to get what is inside out and get it on the outside. And so I just want to agree together that we'll be those people that will be prepared to make a conscious decision, that will let our compassion result in action, and we can do it in a way which isn't complicated. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Um, uh, if you'll stand... We'll go ahead and uh, respond and commit this to the Lord. Before we, you're good. Before we pray, am I on? Yep. You can be. <laughs> you're good. Am I on? Am I on? Yay! <laughs> Before we pray, just as Jeremy was talking, I just felt the Holy Spirit remind me of something, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something for us um, in just a, a, a moment before we go. And um, when Jeremy was talking about don't complicate that, I just want to share something that I shared at our last loaded women's event, and that was this. Um, in the passage with the Samaritan woman where Jesus meets this woman at the well, and he starts chatting with her about her life, um, and he tells her, if you remember the stories, he says, um, you know, he talks to her about if you knew who, I, uh, who was standing for you, you'd ask me for drink and I would give you springs of living water that would never run dry. And um, she wants this water. And so he says, go and get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, not only that, you've had five husbands and the one you're with is not your husband now. So he kind of reads her mail and they have this interchange, but she recognizes who she's standing with. 
and she runs to the town and she tells everyone she can find what her encounter about her encounter with the Lord. And it says this, it says, as she told people about what had happened with her and the Lord, many people believed. And the ones who didn't believe, they were curious enough that they went to Jesus themselves because they were curious about her encounter and wanted to hear straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And they got saved. So this is really interesting. If you look at your Bible, biblically, the first evangelist to win a city to Christ was that woman at the well, who'd been married and divorced five times and was living with a man who wasn't her husband. And I believe this, listen, if there was anyone not qualified to win a city to Christ, it was probably that woman. Many of us can often not share our faith or not share what the Lord has done, not talk about our encounters with the Lord because deep down, we feel like we're not really qualified. We can compare ourselves to people like Stephen Coco and think, oh gosh, he's leading stadiums to Christ and I'm just me. <laughs> but listen, we have a good friend in the church in England, Josh Luke Smith, who says this, just because you feel unqualified doesn't make you disqualified. And I love that. This passage Jeremy was talking about where Jesus goes and heals Lazarus, he weeps and then he goes and he moves on his compassion and he makes a conscious choice and he brings life from death. When Lazarus hobbles out of the tomb, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. It's a command, not a suggestion. He says, unbind him and set him free. And that invitation is still here for us today with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has placed an anointing upon you and I to go out there and unbind people and set them free. And I wanna say this, I wanna pray in a minute and here's what I'm gonna pray for. A lot of us don't do it because we do what Jeremy said at the end, we make it so complicated. We think we have to have a three-point gospel message or we think we have to know apologetics or we wanna get into debates with people. But all this woman did, the first biblical evangelist to win a city to the Lord, she just shared about her encounter with Jesus. She said, this is the conversation I had with him. All of us in this room have encounters with Jesus. We all have things that God has done for us, whether it's a financial provision. He healed me of diabetes. I should be an insulin-dependent diabetic. Both my parents are. Totally free of diabetes. I have the thighs to prove that I eat a lot of chocolate and a lot of sugar. <laughs> totally free. He's healed me of lots of things physically. He has provided for us a number of times. Some of you know my testimony. I was a slave to depression. Grew up in a household where suicide attempts were a regular thing. God totally set me free from depression. So now when I meet someone who is struggling with depression, all I have to do is tell them, hey, this is what he did for me. And if they want prayer, then I get to pray for them. And I've seen so many people set free from depression. So I'm gonna pray for us as we go, but what I wanna pray this is, I wanna pray so that we can go and unbind others that the Holy Spirit unbinds some things in us right here. I believe he's here and what he wants to do is unbind this thinking that somehow we're not qualified or somehow we don't have something because every one of us carries the Holy Spirit and an encounter with God. And if you've had an encounter, then you're qualified to be an encounter. So Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word that we've heard today. We thank you, Father, that what's inside of us is the hope of the world. That Jesus, it's you. 
You are the life of this world. You are the light of the world and you are the way and you reside within us. And so for right now, in the name of Jesus, I just speak release over every person here and I release the the uh, encounters that they've had with you. For each one of us, God, I speak a release of the gift of God in us, the life of God in us, and the love of God in us to pour out to those among us. Father, we ask today that you would give us fresh eyes to see the people and situations around us from your perspective. Father, I believe that you are calling people to life even now. And I ask that you would give us the eyes to see those that we could unbind them and see them set free simply by sharing what you've done for us. And Father, I speak a release over that and I bless every person here, every person who takes a step to share something of the love and goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless them in Jesus' name and I speak fruitfulness over that. Father, a total release from anything that hinders us, anything that holds us back, We want to be about your business, Father. We want to share in the joy like Sandy. She thought she was going to a doctor's appointment, and she ended up having the time of her life because she saw someone come from death into life. And, Father, we want that too. And so in the name of Jesus, I just ask for your blessing upon us all and that as we go out, we would be carriers of your word, carriers of your love, carriers of your life, and that we would see that fruitfulness among us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.